Vox Quick Hits. This is What's the Story. I'm Meredith Haggerty, Deputy Editor with The Goods. I'm Rebecca Jennings, a senior reporter at The Goods. A couple months ago, I moved apartments, and the one big purchase I wanted to make was a couch, because obviously we had just spent the whole year working from our own couches, and I had bought a really cheap one that was extremely uncomfortable to sit on, so I was ready to splurge a little bit. I was like, this is going to be my big girl, fancy girl purchase, and I was pretty sure I wanted a leather one. But unfortunately, leather is very expensive, so all the ones I wanted were like thousands of dollars. And eventually, you know, like I, I looked up all the sites, I like looked up reviews and everything, and I was like, this is the one, it's gorgeous, it's this really comfy camel leather couch with like tufted seats. And the reason why I eventually bought it is because I knew that when I was paying for it, I could split up the payments into 12 parts. So every month I got a charge on my credit card, and I kind of don't even really notice that I'm paying this giant sum of money. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I really like this couch. So it sounds like you were able to buy now and pay later. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> and that's a that's a whole category of financial products these days, buy now, pay later. There's a firm, there's Afterpay, there's Klarna, there's QuadPay, there's Sezzle. Sezzle. I just love saying Sezzle. <laughs> I love saying Sezzle. There's also something maybe a little unsettling about this category of financial products. You can use them to buy everything from tiny purchases like a PacSun backpack to enormous purchases like, you know, kidney surgery. Terry Nguyen, our colleague, looked into what is going on with the ever-growing buy now, pay later market, which has moved from clothing and couches into surgery and rent. Seems strange. Seems a little stressful. And potentially terrible. Possibly a bit of a trap. (laughs) But why don't we let Terry tell us more? Hi, Terry. Hi. It seems like these kind of platforms have been around for a while. But when did, you know, the idea of buy now, pay later first pop up? So the concept of buy now, pay later has existed pretty much like for a very long time in American consumerism. Like the idea of a credit card is kind of like that. Um, But I think the closest comparison that people have mentioned is that it's similar to layaway, which is a business model that's kind of geared towards, um, you know, low income people where they could pay for a big ticket item through like various installments. And when they finally pay it, they can bring it home. But, you know, these buy now, pay later products are just kind of an inversion of that. So it seems like, and it's marketed by by companies like Afterpain and Verm as uh, an easier way to buy stuff. But what's the catch? Yeah. So pretty much the catch is, um, and the reason why kind of a lot of online retailers have been enthusiastic to um, bring it on is that uh, they pretty much encourage the consumer to buy more. And because they don't feel like they're really taking out cash from their own bank account, they're more willing to split it up and therefore take on more than wh- whatever they can afford or usually what they're willing to um, pay in one lump sum. It feels like shoppers can use the buy now, pay later option on like pretty much anything these days. Uh, but you found property managers who are letting people use it to pay their rent? Yeah, so there's this new app called Flex that has partnered with um, some property management companies so that their tenants could theoretically split their rent after paying a subscription fee every month so that they can pay rent theoretically on their own schedule or like across the month rather than just one lump sum at the start or the end of the month. 
Are all buy now, pay later services created equal? Oh, no, certainly not. I think the fine print, that's kind of the key. You got to read the fine print. But um, I talked to this guy who's worked in consumer credit for some time, and he kind of distinguishes them into two categories. Um, One is a firm or PayPal credit. These are like point of sale lenders. They're usually for larger purchases like um, Casper mattresses or Pelotons. Um, And then there's the more common pay in for services you might see when you're checking out. Um, you know, at a fast fashion retailer, maybe at Macy's or Etsy. So those sites are more like Klarna or Afterpay, which charge no interest. So it, it sounds like some of them are loans. Are they regulated or how are they regulated? Yeah. So under the definition of a loan under like U.S. consumer protection law, it really isn't a loan. Um, and I think Afterpay's uh, CEO previously told Vox that it is more of a a budgeting tool rather than a loan servicer. Um, and so that's kind of the bigger concern now, not just in the U.S., but in Australia and Europe. Uh, they're really looking into kind of defining what these products are and, you know, how to better protect consumers. I feel like this is really similar to people who like rented their furniture from Rena Center or went or you brought a bunch of stuff on layaway. And there was like this stigma around doing that. And, you know, it was it was kind of looked down upon. But isn't this sort of what we are all buying into as Americans? Like we we kind of can't avoid going into debt, right? Yeah, it's pretty much impossible. The way kind of our buying cycles have sped up, it pretty much just encourages people to take on credit or debt. And what's interesting about services like Afterpay or Klarna and how they're spoken of a little highly of on social media, which is interesting and kind of a little dark to me is that it kind of made the concept of layaway. Like I think a black Twitter user said that, you know, layaway is seen as something that's like quote unquote ghetto. And now afterpay is like a gentrified idea of that. And so it's interesting to see how now debt uh, or debt in this form is now being more accepted. Creating this kind of debt, putting people in, you know, further and further debt. Isn't this what the housing crisis was about? Shouldn't we be concerned about all of this? I mean, theoretically, yes. <laughs> I, I think I read this quote from this historian who said that Americans have always spent more than their means. And I think the concerning part is seeing these services being applied to things like healthcare with, you know, the app Walnut, um, which offers zero interest payments for people who don't have healthcare on maybe things like surgeries. And so that is concerning just because there is currently no regulation around it. And as you know, a lot of consumers, a lot of Americans are vulnerable um, to getting in debt. And um, it seems like there's really no way to fix it currently. It seems like we went basically from the problem with these services, what they, or they might encourage people to buy more stuff they don't need. But when you're using them on necessities, like that's just a whole other ballgame. Yeah. And I mean, uh, payday loans and high interest loans have always had a bad reputation, kind of broadly speaking, when we're discussing people getting in debt. But right now, kind of the way these startups operate and, you know, it's kind of unsure and they're not very popular yet. But this kind of rebranding of getting into debt, whether, you know, there's a grace period of like zero interest loans or whatnot, uh, there still is that danger. And um, I think consumer advocates are most concerned just because there's no regulation or like criticism into the space yet. So I've obviously used one of these services to buy my couch, which was very expensive and I just didn't want to pay that much. Um, But I'm curious as to what other shoppers that have used these services that you talked to said about it. 
Yeah, a lot of the shoppers I spoke to um, were fairly young, kind of Gen Z or millennials, and a lot of them actually don't really read the fine print or know the distinctions. They just become familiar with the names of these services by virtue of, you know, online shopping a lot. And I think um, what they realize is that although it's good for their first purchase, it's very easy to kind of enter the slippery slope of being like, oh, I've bought this and it charged me only $25, which means I can buy another payment that will be split up into another like $25 charge. And so it certainly leads to more buying that they've expected. Terry, after the story published and we shared it, like we got some responses from people who had opened medical credit cards for procedures they had had to have and, you know, without reading the fried print, nearly had their credit ruined because it was a, a good deal up front. But then, you know, that second year, you suddenly have an incredibly high interest rate. So I think it sounds like reading the fine print is really like absolutely the name of the game in terms of getting involved with these services and getting understanding what you're a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Some of these services don't report to credit bureaus while others do. And so there is that, you know, process of whether this loan is being underwritten or not. And I think a lot of consumers just aren't aware of that. And some of them prefer avoiding the credit route entirely and are paying kind of for Afterpay or for Klarna through their debit card. Um, But I don't think that people are clear as to which services like determine their credit score or not. I should check up on that. (laughs) Terry, thank you so much for joining us. You can read more of her work at The Goods by Vox. 